been pretty intentional over my service because I do serve a purple district. And so because of that, I have always leaned in really hard just on, on, on principle and personally, I think nonpartisan municipal governance is the bedrock of democracy, right? We are mm. problem solvers. If we can kind of show the work around just kind of the practical work that we do. But I think having been in that place of having to speak with constituents all across the political spectrum. I do think that makes me particularly well suited to this role because fundamentally, I am very excited about what local government can do to deliver for all Nashvillians. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN Post-Election Edition here. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Don't follow me on X. I'm Jamie Holland. Uh, our, uh, first of all, I am excited to have our guest in the studio with us today because she agrees with me on the most important issue of our time, which is it is still called Twitter. Indeed Vice, Vice Mayor Angie Henderson joining us here on the pod. Angie, thank you so much for coming in studio with us. Thank you, Braden. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate y'all having me. Uh, all right. And it's Twitter, not X, correct? Correct. All right. Oh. Thank you for coming in. Absolutely. That's all we need. <laughs> and scene. Uh, all right. Can I ask you a very important question to start? Do you know how to rate a podcast on Apple Podcasts? I do not. Thank you very much. (laughs) Our friend of the show, (laughs) Radley Balco. Great. Put up a tweet yesterday. Excuse me, a post on X. (laughs) See see what he did? It's a tweet, Jamie. The Apple Podcast (laughs) app is terrible. Not intuitive, clumsy, disorganized. Is there a better app that organizing cues up the podcast you listen to? Radley Balco, if you may remember, was the author of a story in the national scene called Code Snitching. Who was featured prominently in that story, Jamie? Mr. Holland was quoted. The Coe's the Coe's former, Department. Former council member, Jamie Holland. <laughs> the, Coe's, the Coe's Department. Snitching on your neighbor. Okay, But so- it's not intuitive. You have to go to the show. Scroll all the way down. Braden. Oh, God. I'm glad you brought that up. I've, I've done the comparison between PBN and your other shows. We have 19 episodes of Pod Bless Nashville, soon to be 20. It has 57 ratings. That's a rate of three per episode. All your other ones. Oh, God. Sub whole numbers. Sorry. Congrats. I, so what you're saying is that this one is better rated than... It, it's about him. Okay. That's, okay. that's it's what, about him. no, it's, it's about <laughs> that rating thing. And on Apple podcasts, how you have to scroll to the bottom, I know. not on the episode, on the show. It's I, annoying. I think most humans know how to scroll to the bottom and hit five stars. I'm going to so. say the only way I knew about your podcast was through Twitter <laughs> and the link that was provided on Twitter. Full circle. Um, I, I, I'm not really in that space on my phone. Um, I just kind of find it through other platforms, I think. And then I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. And I might try to go back and listen to a few of these. But I don't really subscribe to podcasts and 
That may just be me. Well, let's I'm see. If old. We, we'll see if we can change that today. Yeah. Uh, we have a brand new mayor, the tenth mayor in the yes. city of Nashville. So we're going to get to Exciting. Freddie O'Connell's victory. We'll absolutely talk about your role as vice mayor. We'll we'll educate some folks on what that means for people, what you plan to do with that position, and of course some of the challenges that are going to be facing the, the new Metro Council and some yes. of the stories around the election uh, of that brand new met- Metro Council. That again will begin meeting on October third, much much quicker than <laughs> probably everybody expected. But here we go. It's a quick um, but she is the first in metro history to unseat a defending incumbent vice mayor congratulations yeah, thank you are I you appreciate that. so are you glad that you've never listened to our our show <laughs> oh no i went back and listened to a few before i agreed <laughs> to be here today so that was interesting so i i did appreciate mr uh, holland's compliments on a, a more recent one but i went back you know i, I listened i did i did <laughs> Mr. Holland, the one of the reasons I love the vice mayor is because <laughs> <Love>. she <laughs> she's not afraid to land a punch. I like that. I like that about her. Respect her for it. And she, in her response, she said that you know she wanted to go listen to a few episodes because of her persnickety nature. <laughs> Which I that that was quoting you, Mr. Holland. <laughs> uh, I would not refer to myself. As Thank persnickety. You. Thank you. Although I did, you know, I, I, I Googled, I, I used my Webster's there. There, there. there are two definitions. One slightly more positive as to my detail-orientedness. So I will, uh, I'll, That's I'll, what I was I'll thinking take of. it at the more positive of the two definitions. So, yeah. J- Jamie is one of the most persnickety people I know. Hey. Just for persnickety the record. Persnickety sees so. persnickety, I guess. Um, all right. Well, we will get to how you, how you won and sort of what you learned through that process. I also am just curious, like, I want to know the night of, like, what exactly is going through your head. So we'll get, we'll get to all of that. Um, but we got to start with a brand new mayor, yeah. Freddie O'Connell. Uh, defeats Alice Rowley, 72,932 votes, 63.9% of the vote. Alice Rowley, 41,171 votes, 36.1. That is a 27-point victory. And yes, I believe a Davidson County record turnout, 114,000-plus voters, which is very exciting for me personally. I just love seeing more people involved. Uh, We've got five new, of course, at-large Council members, uh, an all-female front row, Delisha Porterfield, Quinn Evans-Segal, Berkeley Allen, and Olivia Hill, both all four win in the runoff, of course, uh, joining Zolfat Suora on the at-large. We've got three others, District 4, 11, and 29, that were decided as well. And I guess I just want to stop there. And and congratulations to Olivia Hill, first ever trans person elected to any office in the state of Tennessee. A truly great story. Um, Angie, we'll start with you. Just your broad takeaway from this season mm-hmm. what it tells you about the direction of the the council and the mayor's office what it tells you about the direction of the city and maybe where people's heads are at in the electorate yeah i um it's been a really interesting election season and i think when uh, i have met now with 33 uh, council members whether new or returning and i've got seven more folks uh, to meet with uh, now and and uh, glad about that but you know, in talking to folks about what motivated them to run, um, you know, what they were seeing in their district. I think some of that holds true in district service. It really is kind of at a granular level. I often talk about council members, you know, there's no crosswalk to this school. Um, You know, this bus service isn't working right. I think people run generally with a heart for their community or schools or parks. And then, you know, in nonpartisan municipal governance, often running as, as problem solvers. But additionally, 
there is a lot of talk about kind of the progressive wave. And I think that is responsive to a, a fair amount of kind of authoritarian overreach from the state, how women feel about losing their bodily autonomy, the targeting of the trans community. And so I think you are seeing that come up through a nonpartisan local election uh, where people do feel strongly, we need more women in office. Um, we need more folks from the LGBT community and minority communities uh, speaking up about what is happening. And that's kind of an awkward not necessarily counterpoint to or, or a push back on, you know, just be quiet, don't say anything, you know, so the state won't, you know, uh, uh, bully us anymore. And we absolutely have to do our best to get along and work compatibly for the good of Nashville, this county, this state. But, we you know, when somebody bullies you, you can't just kind of cower and be quiet about it. And so I think in many ways, this election was kind of speaking up and speaking back to that kind of predominant uh, feeling. I agree. Women are the story of the election, 100%. 22 females, 18 males yes. on this council body. First time female First majority. First female majority. We, we got equality there. We had 20 and uh, 20. And 20. Uh, in the last term, and then there were 16 of us uh, women in 2015. Is what what else is sort of underneath that top layer? Because I agree with you, that's sort of the top layer. But you know, and I think this is what the the O'Connell campaign tapped into. It, it certainly helps to have decades of service and and sort of a, yes. a track record of performance and being there for the people in his district and for other you know various roles that he's served in. He also touched on a very optimistic note, uh, yes. obvi obviously. Yes. So like, I, I don't know what your takeaway is from the campaign itself, because you had to run your own, but service, optimism, local experience, those sort of feel, felt like the, the core things. And then he just ran a better campaign, frankly, than everybody else. Very impressive performance by him on Thursday. Right, true. You know, you can see, feel, hear, experience. I don't know if you need 51 forums to hear it, but um, I think that came through in the maybe 10 <laughs> that I uh, listened to or, or attended. I touched on it earlier, but you know, those of us who have been in district service do understand how metro government works at a granular level. And so if you do want to improve processes, if you do want to improve systems, you have to understand them. And so it's one thing to negatively say, this doesn't work and this is a mess and Metro's bad and boo hiss. Um, I, you know, I think folks would probably say I am somewhat of a critical person, but I always do that from a very positive place of wanting to make things better. So you need to be able in elected leadership to be the person who will say the thing. And I think the electorate appreciates when you say what they're thinking and feeling, um, but you have to do more than that. Leadership is then coming up with a plan and delivering on fixing that problem or problems <laughs> because they are myriad. <laughs> Which I think that goes right into what processes or process changes do you envision over the course of the next four years? Because I, I wholeheartedly believe council meetings that go past midnight <laughs> or really 10 are not really serving the public interest anymore because nobody that has a work and has a job the next day can stay up to watch council meetings. We definitely have a much bigger agenda. Um, so, you know, 
in in fairness, you know, the meetings are going to be longer based on the size of the agenda. You know, some 60 odd 70 percent of our agenda is, uh, you know, rezonings, um, whether that be kind of parcel by parcel. And we have an immense uh, kind of growth rate happening in the city. So there is a whole lot of rezoning. And so there is just a, a volume uh, to that. But I do think we can be intentional about, uh, and this is something that was part of my campaign and in our committee work, having the conversations there. You know, I think there are things that are of broad community concern uh, that the folks do expect to hear some debate on the floor. But I think Part of the work is kind of showing the work, narrating the work of government. And so if you can articulate that this is, you know, happening, good discussion was happening in committee, and we can make it easier, just came from a meeting with our ITS um, about a lot of process improvement. Some of that, in fairness, set in uh, motion uh, by council members and others in the last administration. And so I, I think whether it be our committee rooms and how those are televised and can be found by the public, right? So if you tell folks that a lot of discussion happened in committee, they need to be able to easily go online and find that committee meeting. So I think strengthening our committees, the support of committees um, to do the work, to have that time and space, can get the length of our meeting down, understanding rules, saying things once rather than three times, um, and, you know, level setting for new council members. We're going to have two and a half days of orientation starting next week, you know, learning the rules uh, is important. Yeah. I, I want to get back into, I, I want to kind of back up first, because I want to sure. define the role and how you see it and how you um, would articulate that. But also, and I, I this feels also awfully reductive in my head to, to say like, Winners and losers from an election season. I, I don't that that feels very simplistic. But did you, do you guys get a sense of what the elections and what the people like? What do they tell us? Again, I, I hate using the winners and losers. Like, who are the winners and losers of, of, of the election? I, I I think folks who spoke to not just the problems, but what they would like to address, how they want to do the work, what is their skill set, what is their intention around doing that. There is a lot of um, civic fatigue, right? Um, because we've had multiple mayors in a time that we would normally have one. The first walk and bike plan, the second walk and bike plan, I don't know which transportation plan we're on, the update to the plan, the survey to the plan, another survey, <laughs> the sub plan. Committee. Yeah. Committee right. to revise the plan. Right. And, and so, you know, folks just want to do yeah. do the stuff that we all know. Um, I think Councilman O'Connell <laughs> spoke to this uh, last night in his acceptance speech that we all have known for now a decade that we need to do. And so yeah. um, I think the the winners were the ones willing to say, let's do the things. Like, let's just do the work, you know? I thought you were going somewhere else, Braden, but the, I will answer the question of the biggest losers of the night. It's biz pigs and the fraternal order of police. I mean, they have got L on their face big time. Well, we did kind of break the typical model, I think, of folks who were very much aligned with uh, the business community, had certain sort of PACs, donors, organizations, certain lobbyists uh, kind of behind them as uh, uh, organizations, that those are the folks. This did sort of 
break apart the traditional model of, you know, kind of how you win in Nashville. Um, you know, I, I won by the skin of my teeth, you know, I mean, I raised $137,000. Like that's not much y'all for a countywide race. And I think not on TV, right? No, God, no, I couldn't afford that. Um, and I think, you know, my husband was my treasurer. A lot of people, can't have your husband be your treasurer. I'm like, well, you know, he's a he professional is, in that right, space. He right? is a, a CFA and a CPA and an MBA, and I, like strikes me as qualified. He's in my he's in my house here, so it kind of makes it easier. But because we uh, were somewhat under resourced relative either to my opponent or some other at large candidates, we hyper scrutinized every penny we spent. But that's that's also me anyway. I am kind of frugal by nature. I mean, people will kind of poo-poo saying you're fiscally disciplined, but like that, that matters to me, like spending the limited resources that you have and spending it uh, well. And so if you look at some candidates who had massive war chests, you know, started earlier, had all the typical max out donors, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of, you know, 25, 50, hundred dollar, 250, um, very few on the max out side of the scale. Yeah. And, you know, from all over uh, all over the county. And that is how you build a coalition. You can't just rely on the same kind of, uh, you know, what I think some would assert is sort of, you know, in quotation marks, controlling business interests, right, um, to fund yeah. your campaign. And if you don't make those people mad, you know, you can get elected. And I've sort of disproved that because I have made those folks mad and they've They've been gunning for me. I mean, they were gunning for me in 2019 and um, this time around as well. And so that that kind of over is overarching, right? Because there were a fair number of candidates who maybe folks in a more kind of traditional business space would be that, you know, they don't comport themselves like a typical, you know, council member or a typical candidate. And, you know, we sort of broke that model somewhat. Well, one of those groups of biz pigs put a pack together and started recruiting candidates, et cetera, and, you know, making max pack donations and doing mail and whatnot. And I think they lost all across the board. That being said, I think that's how Freddie's campaign began. And then after the general, $1.2 million raised, three to one dollars on over the top of, of Alice Rowley. And and even the biz pigs know how to do math at some point. And his, I don't want to say it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to win the election, but there were lots of signs. If you listen to this show, we felt like it was a pretty obvious uh, double digit point victory. And it turned out to be even more than that. You know, the money still poured in at the end. And he, he governed fairly um, as a Metro Council member. He governed probably far more centrist than his campaign would even tell you. And I think there's plenty of people that think that's a po- positive sign that the, the pragmatism and the I'm willing to listen to everybody and work with everybody. I think that there's a lot Absolutely. of people that are very excited about that. Part Absolutely. Of it. And that is very true. I often um, said that in speaking to constituents who are inquiring with me about both candidates, um, that uh, Freddie is a pragmatist. Um, and I think pragmatists usually prevail, um, you know, if you can kind of deliver on that. So, you know, he has served a very unique district, a lot of development pressure, major business center. Uh, so he has 
balanced that, <laughs> right? Having um, his 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 voice, his principles, his positions, and kind of balancing, you know, not getting too out of whack um, uh, uh, with with the larger kind of predominant right. business community. But they do. It's 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 interesting to see once uh, that community knows, uh, <laughs> you know, you're gonna win. Then uh, you know it it all flows in. Now I would say that is not true. For myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah. again, what that goes to is we, and I'm sure we're going to touch on this, but we have a strong mayor system, and so I found on the campaign trail, everybody uh, wants to talk about the mayor, rightly so. After that, it's their district council member. Then it's, hey, who are all these 21 people running at large? Right. And then uh, fourthly, there's a vice mayor. <laughs> Like, truly. I mean, a lot of our campaign really was educating folks around what is the role. All right, let's talk well, about it. Uh, what, what no, no, the, no, hang on, hang on. Okay. <laughs> I want, I got, because I, I do want to get into that. Yeah. I want to, I want to, the night on August 3rd, because again, you, you win by a couple thousand votes. Yes. Um, I'd like to know when it's all done, the comms people are not around, the, the you know, you've got the quotes out and you've put out the socials and everything's kind of done. And you actually get a moment to be alone with your thoughts or with your family and you're in your house and you're and it's quiet. What's going through your head? What is that feeling like? It feels great. I mean, it it's somewhat overwhelming in the moment because we were the underdog campaign. Absolutely. And so, you know, you you're you're running to win. You know, I did not run to lose. I, we ran hard. We were everywhere. We had a diverse coalition, a great team, but a little bit in the back of your mind when you know you're an underdog and, you know, you kind of look at your fundraising relative to your opponent and all the endorsements, you know, that uh, he has, you know, some of which were, you know, kind of late breaking surge wise, you know, you do have talks with your kids and your family about, you know, it, it's okay if mom loses, you know, and we've run a great campaign. Um, we've shared with folks about this role and really how the checks and balances of Metro government should work. So, you know, it, it, it served a purpose and we've learned a lot and uh, it's going to be okay if we lose. And so I, I was, <laughs> I, I told a lot of folks in the last few days, we're really running on vibes and anecdotes, right? Like it was starting to feel pretty good. I saw Mr. Holland at maybe uh, Basement East, right? Mm -hmm. Within um, kind of a few days of the election, you know, subsequent, it was a debate um, between Afton Bain and, and Anthony Davis. And once that was over, I mean, I was hitting everybody in that room um, to ask for their support. And I'll tell you what about like, 80% of that room said, we already voted for you and you're awesome. And so that felt really good. But then I was like, well, it's a little bit of a bubble over here, right? Um, no. But, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but it, you know, it was interesting <laughs> to me. So you drive around East Nashville, a whole lot of Freddie, Angie, Freddie, Angie in yards. You know, there was there was some Alice Angie over in West Nashville. There was some Jeff Angie. There was some Heidi Angie. I mean, it. so I was... Cautiously optimistic, but I will say I was somewhat surprised. I mean, it very much was a wave of emotion of, oh my goodness, we actually did this thing. Do you, you actually know? get to exhale? Like, do you actually take a moment and just... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it is, um, it, it, it feels, yeah, it feels, feels good to uh, win. Did y'all ever have a forum? 
We did not, and it was not for lack of asking. So look at that disparity of 51 mayoral forums and not a single one. And you only had two candidates for goodness sakes, right? Like, come on. Sounds like Um, we needed to do a better job. Meaning meaning a winner was coming out. There was not going to be any runoff. No no opportunity for the biz pigs to rally to you. Right. And we wouldn't have even had to have a forum. We could have had a debate. Remember those? You know? If only we had a right. podcast at that time, Jimmy. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, we did kind of late breaking at the end um, have an opportunity to be on This Is Nashville. That was a side by side. I don't know who um, delete that. I don't delete that. that. I don't delete that, that comment. I apologize. That's that, uh, <laughs> left apologize. on the that cutting is, room that floor. That is another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we, I do apologize. No, um, it, a big Vice fella. Mayor, we are uh, not yeah. scared. We're not scared. Uh, a big fella has a podcast as well. And we had um, filmed and recorded that much earlier, but it didn't break really to the last few days. We didn't really get to necessarily optimize that. So we had felt, we felt like we had had some good opportunities to speak with folks and get that out. But it it was really pretty late breaking. And I think that's what you might have seen in the early vote versus the election day vote. I, I know Jamie wants to ask about that real quickly, just to prove how not bubblish we are over here. District five and district six, 8713, Freddie O'Connell over Alice Rowley. That wasn't the largest discrepancy. District two is is the, is the big bubble. 90-10 wow. split. How many, district how many two. votes? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, Jamie. Thank okay. you. Thank Sorry. you for putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> all right. The, the last week, I know Jamie wants to go there. Well, she, she segued to it because I definitely want to get back to what does the vice mayor do. But in early voting, you trailed 1,500 votes. On election day, you won by 5,300 votes to win 5248. Something happened between early voting and election day. And that is you dropped the he's not listening mailer. Yes. I want to know, as soon as I saw it, I texted you <laughs> today. I think I sent you the salute emoji. <laughs> Respect. Yes. Like, I do. Because somebody has to draw a contrast, and somebody's not going to do it, do it for you. Right. And I thought that piece of mail made the difference, particularly with the theme being the women being the theme of the election, and he's not listening. Mm. That's a hit right in the jaw. Tell me the thought process going into that mailer. Did you have people telling you, hey, don't do that? You know, that might be perceived as going negative. I call it facts or sticky. Yep. And you may not like them, but they're facts. Facts. You know, I think earlier on in the campaign, you know, getting advice to strike more of a contrast Um, whether just through emails or otherwise. But, you know, I felt strongly in those first two mailers, I was trying to make the case for myself, um, my skill set, what I wanted to bring to the role. And so uh, I was not striking really a, a, a sharp contrast in those first two mailers. We had to scrap and fundraise. My husband, bless him, over that last weekend when we were deciding, are we going to do this final mailer? Are we going to do the thing and strike the contrast? We didn't know if we could do it. We had to fundraise for it. We literally did not have enough money to do, you know, the mailer to our premium list that we wanted to send to. So it all really kind of came together right at the finish line. Yeah, I mean, it was like I got the email at, you know, midnight. I approved the, you know, text at 1 a.m. It went to the mail house on Monday. I mean, it was like we turned that sucker around on a dime. So, you know, and the risk of, oh, my God, what if it lands on, you know, 
the day after. <laughs> Better Nashville packs mail landed yesterday. Yeah, right, right. So it's, yeah, because there's a little bit of that, you know, you. It's unreliable. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and so we, we felt it was worth it um, because I stand by it. It was, it was true. It was how I felt. It was the contrast I was trying to uh, strike. And I was saying, uh, you know, peer-to-peer and in smaller spaces, you know, getting that uh, message out to a lot of larger audience was, was very important. And then I also think folks who do vote early are pretty politically engaged, you know, as far as kind of you know, again, bubbles, but the Nashville political bubble. And because of that, um, you know, Mr. Shulman was, uh, you know, kind of, uh, they were aware of him or of his name. And so that might have been because nobody pays much attention to the vice mayoral role. Oh, you know, I know Jim. And so with that early cohort, um, maybe you got a little bit more of the, oh yeah, you know, and he's the incumbent and so forth. So yeah. And it's not like neg I mean I know people use the word negative or hit piece or whatever but like the best yeah. the best messaging is when it aligns with both your vision of what you want the role to be but also is just sort of pointing out the truth and the reality of the situation it doesn't to me it's when the great messaging is when it's both drawing a contrast with your opponent but also aligning with your vision On and message. and yeah. telling the truth. Right. And you know listening is leading. Leading is listening. That that was already a narrative coming through in my other pieces. So it, it was on on message. I think so. It I you know I I don't consider it a, a hit piece. I think it was like a, a strong contrast. And you know, and I, I said some things, but again, that I, I stand by them. It's a zero sum game. Either win or you lose. So and right. uh, Angie Henderson it, is sitting right here. <laughs> yeah, leave right. it all on the field. Uh, yeah. All right. In in your there's like a, a technical definition. Uh, but also I want your sort of interpretation of that definition of what the vice mayor's role is. Yes. So the vice mayor is the president of the city council of Metro Council, uh, which is the legislative branch of our local government. So, you know, just at the local level, like you have the state level and the federal level, you have the three branches of government. In Nashville, we have a strong mayor system. But uh, by charter, the vice mayor is elected citywide to be the president of the city council, not on a ticket with the mayor. Um, And I think that was a big point of confusion for most folks. Um, They thought that, you know, the vice mayor was kind of running with someone. In my view, you are leading the body. You are supporting the body. Um, I think the most kind of reductive definition of it is you run the meetings. And absolutely, you do run the meeting. you got to run a good meeting, a constructive meeting, right? Showing the work, uh, narrating the work to a certain extent, and beyond the meeting itself, what's happening here? What are we doing here? Why do we do this work? Um, and I think that has been somewhat lacking in previous vice mayors, especially in this very online age of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all those things, that that provides a lot of opportunity for folks to be engaged in local government. But we've got to be uh, kind of showing the work and, and talking about it and putting it out there. So that's why I appreciate platforms like this. But it's, um, you know, kind of the head communicator, I think, about the work that we're doing. Um, but also, I think it's, you know, it's it's mentorship, it's support. I have been a legislator for eight years. I have done some major policy lifts. Um, we have a particularly challenging policy environment because we have the most preemptive legislature in the United States of America or second most, you know, Texas and Tennessee 
duke it out. And this is a growing pattern across the United States. And so what that means for how we legislate um, and how we're strategic about that. And, uh, you know, we're kind of stronger together if we have collective goals, but you have to balance <laughs> the independently elected autonomy of 40 individuals. Um, it's no easy task. Um, so you really are kind of leading and, and supporting that body. How, how do you, st st you, you kind of alluded to some of this in that answer outside of the actual conversations that are constructive and some of the processes that you can affect. I know uh, Dave Rosenberg was on, former council member, uh, was on with former council member Jamie Holland last week on the show. And he Shut said, up, and he said, that's rude. I'm trying not that's to curse rude. in front um, of the vice mayor. I, I noticed. Um, and, but he said that there, you've already sort of uh, are implementing some tools to try to help this be one of the most prepared metro councils that have ever walked into that, that chamber. And so I'm curious, how do you help to give a little more detail to the folks, how can you help steer the conversations instead of sort of like just being along for the ride, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think I'm trying to be very intentional with feedback from my colleagues, returning colleagues, departing colleagues like Dave. Um, so I don't have a, you know, official uh, transition team, but an, an informal one, right? Um, in speaking uh, with colleagues uh, that I respect and appreciate their insight. And again, I have met with all 33 so far returning members, you know, what works, what do you need? And so uh, I think a lot of folks, um, I did not attend the onboarding at the start of this term. My father had just passed from pancreatic cancer, so I was not present, um, but I did talk to colleagues about that training. And then I do have my 2015 experience. I did not feel particularly well prepared um, for the job subsequent to the onboarding in 2015. And that's what I heard to an even greater degree from my colleagues about 2019. And so there are just a broad host of uh, issues in the community about which we may be legislating. Then there is just the operational, how do you do a meeting and Robert's rules and how do you file legislation? And so it's kind of both and, like as long as you are going to instruct around the process of doing the work, we might as well use the examples of work we've done, work we intend to do. I'm really big on, you know, contextualizing things, using kind of real world examples. We're going to do a mock meeting. Um, again, I just came from a ITS and uh, Mr. Holland will be glad to know uh, we are going to be delivering a solution on our um, kind of by ballot voting that we do. Oh, so that, amazing. You know, in one recent meeting, you know, pushed up on two hours because we had so mm. many kind of board and commission uh, positions to to vote in. And so we've come up, um, ITS staff um, has come up with a technological solution to that. So no more paper and pencil voting. No more paper and pencil oh voting. I know they're all going to be on the board where yes, we can see. Wow, you, they are indeed. And so you know that's sort of a continuous improvement process. And so, but not just having the technology, but um, how do you optimize that technology? So I'm uh, working right now to implement. Council members have asked for this for years and years and years. Could we just have an Outlook legislative calendar that has the deadlines for filing legislation? You can opt into the calendar, then you see it. Yeah. You know, Metro Council related trainings, kind of civic functions to which we're all invited, like have those on a calendar. We haven't had that, you know. So I think council members often feel like they're on, especially district council members, 35 of their own 
islands. And so I think it's important through training to share experience uh, other council members. Like I've, I've been there. I've been a district council member for eight years. I know how difficult and somewhat thankless it it is. And so I'm really trying to bring that forward and come up with some tools and continuing education to support my colleagues in doing the work. Because you can become, especially in a time like we've been through, right, with the multiple mayors, the tornado, the retro, the pandemic, the bombing, you can become very kind of beleaguered and and worn down um, in your service where you feel like you're just dealing with a lot of minutiae and not doing some of the bigger things that you ran for office and have a heart to do. And so I want to help council members um, deliver on their goals. And I think we, um, we do that by improving how we do the work. All right. You also appoint committee chairs. Correct. And the committee, and committee the commi- uh, members as well. Yep. And the committee chairs and you comprise the executive committee. Correct. And what does the executive committee do? Well, this last term, we didn't meet very much. I will say that. But, you know, as we look at our rules, right? Uh, I'm a big believer in the rules and yes. knowing them. Yes, it's important to know the rules. So, you know, the ex- and listening. Yes, <laughs> that too. All good. So, you know, the executive committee of the council, I guess, most fundamentally in concert with the vice mayor, um, they have higher fire of the executive director of the council office and then, you know, can work through and talk about, um, you know, some of these larger process issues that we're uh, talking about. And so it is, yeah, I mean, it's just the executive committee. And the the director of the council would also be known as the council attorney. Correct. Now, what about the staff that is in the council office? Is that a vice mayor function or is that more the council director? I would say it is a a collaborative conversation (laughs) with the council director. Vice mayor is a part-time role, supposedly. You get Um, a little bit more than a council member, right? Oh, I think $2,000 more. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes. So just everyone's aware, council members uh, this last term were paid uh, $23,000. And so, uh, yeah. But you get a big office. I have a very beautiful office. You said said thankless, I believe, in your answer about being council member. Sometimes it feels that way. It it does. And so, you know, I I do think I, I have not kind of come from a place of, all right, I'm elected. Here's my list. You know, I'm just going to come right in here and change this and do that. Um, I am approaching it from a collaborative base. Obviously, I have my opinions and I've garnered the opinions of other council members who have been um, in, in service. We have a great staff. We appreciate them very, very much. And I am just looking to uh, tweak things somewhat as to how we can uh, kind of operationalize the support of council members because I do feel like council members get somewhat isolated because we don't maybe have a clear sort of menu of services around kind of what staff can do. And they are supporting all council members kind of as asked, but we're all kind of getting different kinds of support. And so I think there's an opportunity there uh, to deliver on uh, uh, council member support. I think you've already alluded to it. And a lot of voters have talked about it. We've talked about it a lot on the show, the relationship between the state and the metro government. I guess, why are you optimistic about this new body, the new office yourself? Why are, why are you optimistic that you guys can get that relationship repaired? You know, I mean, I don't think the onus is on 
us as a, a body um, to, you know, fully repair that or, you know, you hear that often, like if, you know, if we would just behave in this way or do these things, then it wouldn't be this bad or it wouldn't whatever. Like all people need to do is like look nationwide. Like this, this is not just an us problem. This is a kind of a a nationwide problem, kind of, you know, the, the big bad blue dot in the otherwise red state kind of a situation. And so I do think though, and I've been, pretty intentional over my service because I do serve a purple district um, throughout my... I think it went for Alice. Um, Council yeah. District 34 went yeah. for Alice. Uh, that does not surprise me. And so because of that, I have I have always leaned in really hard just on, on, on principle and personally, I think nonpartisan municipal governance is the bedrock of democracy, right? We are mm. problem solvers. Um, if we can kind of show the work around just kind of the practical work that we do. So I am often standing in that space, though, of sort of, you know, disabusing some constituents of certain false narratives like well you know y'all this and if you didn't do that and you know why is it this way and often it's like well you know the state preempted us on guns and parks and the state allowed guns and cars and that's why you know the biggest crime in district 34 is is car break-ins you know and so kind of translating a little bit that local state uh relationship so but i think having been in that place of having to speak with constituents all across the political spectrum i do think that makes me particularly well suited to this role um, because fundamentally i i am very excited about what local government can do to deliver for all Nashvillians. And so um, I have some pride in that and some optimism. And so I think that there are many things on which we can work positively. And if we just talk about uh, uh, policy and larger regional goals, those are, um, you know, we have to be in relationship with each other. I mean, next week I am starting, um, I'm going to meet with uh, Representative Himmer. I have in my um, district service and over my council service tried to be intentional about engaging with the Tennessee Municipal League and kind of big city problems are happening in Murfreesboro and Clarksville. And so, you know, we're, we're all stronger together. And some of the challenges that we have around transportation and safe streets, Clarksville has a big, fast zoom, zoom, T-dot road right through the middle of it, as does Murfreesboro. You know, many of our least safe streets are state routes. And so, you know, we don't want to be super negative and accusatory towards T-dot. I mean, there's a mutuality there and partnerships that we can do, but all the other cities around us on all across the state have those same issues. So, you know, let's get together with other communities around those things. I mean, uh, I'll appreciate this anecdote, but the the mayor could not kick off the Nashville Fair. Um, So that was kind of my first (laughs) opportunity um, to uh, go. And I I was afforded four minutes. You'll be happy. I only took two minutes and 20 seconds. You're welcome um, uh, uh, to kick off that fair. Also thought it was funny that um, the very kind woman that was organizing uh, asked me if I had a security detail. (laughs) And I was like, LOL, no, I don't think you know how Nashville works. The vice mayor does not have a security detail. But there I am at the fair chatting with. Women uh, in security detail in Metro. 
has a, a checkered past. Ooh, okay. I'm it's, not going to. It's gonna, also my, okay, I'll, I'm not I'll gonna go there. Let I'll me finish it. my anecdote, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Holland, yeah. uh, about uh, mutuality and nonpartisan relationships. But, you know, there I am standing in the kind of youth agriculture education space um, with Councilman Parker, Congressman Rose, and myself. And we're talking about infrastructure, you know? Perfectly cordial, collegial conversation. His representative has been very intentional about reaching out to the council. I mean, is it good that Nashville has now split into three congressional districts? Heck no, it isn't. But, you know, when you are face-to-face with somebody at the county fair while their kids play, you know, with the baby chickens and you're talking about infrastructure, you know, you're building those relationships. It's both and. Right. I mean, you can call out the hypocrisy. You can call out the bullying and then you can still, I think, be in relationship with people and get things done. So, Congressman Rose represents East Nashville. Yeah. In this bubble we're sitting in. Yes. And Cookville. (laughs) As one does. Uh, What is the what was the phrase again? Nonpartisan. Go ahead and give it again. Nonpartisan municipal governance is the bedrock of democracy. I think that's the that's the fix the potholes, pick up the trash. Every single day. And if that's not happening, then, hey, all y'all suck at the job kind of deal. Thanks. <laughs> um, I, I Also, I thought I thought the governor had said specifically he from his perspective, he wanted things. The temperature. He's on the same page. He's optimistic as well. So uh, at least that's what I thought. He also he said. said he's going to bring a special session for the covenant families. that was going to address extreme right, risk protection right. orders, but it was unconstitutional, Braden. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, all right. October 3rd. Is when the new body meets. Yes. What uh, What are the biggest challenges facing this body as we move forward into the next session here? I think we have a lot of heavy policy lifts that are particularly challenging relative to state preemption, whether currently as things are preempted or um, as we presume they might be, or as we've seen them threatened to be. And so I think we have to be very strategic in the work that we do. And so, um, you know, I absolutely want to um, channel um, in a positive way council members' um, uh, intention, excitement around addressing some of our bigger issues, transportation, affordable housing, uh, homelessness, um, environmental uh, issues around our tree canopy. Uh, You know, we got to come back around and get a new legislative approach to sidewalks. Um, That was a heavy lift um, in a previous administration that has been put asunder. Um, And so, you know, there is some pressure there. Like, how are we going to deliver the infrastructure? Because we are 80 years behind on infrastructure. And so, um, you know, I think it is, again, back to the onboarding and the very specific request to uh, departments, we're going to give three hours to land use planning and how to do that work, because that is the nexus really of everything. It's the majority of the body of the work that we do, but also uh, land use choices are inextricable from the success of transportation, affordability. Um, So, you know, reform of the zoning code, and I, I see Mr. Holland's very happy over there about what I'm saying. That's important for folks to understand. If you want to fix a problem well, you can't just say, oh, I've got this, you know, 
one little piece. Um, sometimes that is the way to eat the elephant. You know, you do break it apart in, in smaller pieces, but you have to be intentional about that. Um, we have to be in um, relationship with our departments. Um, I was meeting with the planning department the other day. They have been very intentional and responsive in their staffing and in their organization to respond to some of these larger uh, text amendments that we have brought um, as a body whether it be around sidewalks or tree canopy. So they've got staff to be responsive to those, you know, legislative efforts, which are an expression of, um, you know, the will of the people and the citizens who have elected us. So, you know, trying to find that balance, make it a productive balance is, is important as we go into the actual cycle of meetings and legislating on October 3rd. This is my bag. For those that are listening on an audio medium, uh, Jamie was beating the drum, I, I believe, <laughs> while you were talking about land use. <laughs> air, drums. air drums were happening over there. I did not want to interrupt her. But zoning code reform, absolutely. Housing supply increase, absolutely. That Somebody's going to have to take that on. And I don't see a council member, a district council member, being able to handle that load. And it's going to require some leadership. Those are big, as you mentioned, big policy issues. But... More often than not, with my clients, and how, how I knew Jim Shulman was cooked was the end of June. Last week of June, I got a call from one of my clients. said, I just got off the phone with Angie Henderson. <laughs> and we spoke for an hour. And he, he's built more sidewalks in this town than any home builder. He's a home builder. And I was like, Jim's cooked if she found you and called you. Cause that told me you were hustling, but that. more and more like problems I have to solve for him before we can get to these big policy issues, metropolitan government can't do the basic walking and talking with issuing permits. The water department is a shit show as it relates to stormwater approvals and approval engineering drawings. It's a damn black hole. The applications get submitted. And poof, I know this particular client is paying $100,000 a month and carry interest mm. because they can't even get to the project. That's Same for NDOT. It's a mess. I'm not saying on these other points, but when it comes to the construction approval related process, it's like, I want to have those big conversations, but more and more I'm finding myself having to deal with this basic a very practical thing. and that's what makes level. hopefully you know something you're interested in excited in to tackle like hey we we gotta get Agreed. step one two and three done Agreed. before we can get ready to have these big policy conversations absolutely and and i have you know i have said that to um you know advocates before around issues uh you know related to trees and sidewalks and so forth and i and i have as a district council member because i do have uh, less just volume of rezonings um, than my colleagues did, I was able to take on some of those kind of heavier countywide lifts in zoning code text amendments. So I've done a lot of work in that space. But what I often said to advocates, staff, colleagues is, you know, you have certain stakeholder cohorts, you have commercial multifamily builders, you have single and two family builders, you have, you know, various kind of divisions among the advocacy community. And, you know, you can only 
only do so many heavy lifts. You can only push so far. Then you have to let things get their you know feet under them. And then it's incumbent upon us to kind of track that and see what the implementation of it is and to tweak that legislation. And so, you know, when you have pushed on some of these things and then you start to realize like, oh, okay, here is here is a stumbling block, right? And particular to stormwater and sidewalks. And, you know, I, I often share that for the sidewalk legislation, the strategic framework, in my view, broke down when the urban zoning overlay was expanded into... Um, the nation's area, because the urban zoning overlay used to have meaning. It was the old city of Nashville, which was about 75% historically sidewalked. And that meant, you know, kind of combined, like you didn't have ditches, right? It wasn't suburban. Um, And so it's difficult to legislate in Nashville because you have so many different contexts. You have urban, rural, suburban, making policy work, the zoning code work in all those different contexts. You absolutely then start to see through legislative oversight and the implementation of things like, ooh, here's a problem in this department, right? Whether it be on delivering uh, the stipulations of that legislation or even just the code that was in place formerly. I think this administration was aware of uh, stormwater being a stumbling block. We had hoped by staffing more people into that (laughs) division that that uh, would be the remedy, um, but has not yet been. I do know there is continued work in improving that. Yeah, you got to, you know, walk and chew gum, so to speak. You got to do all those fundamentals first. And so I think there has been a disconnect. We were having these bigger conversations about, you know, uh, delivering the transportation plan. But we as district council members, you know, you're just, you're driving through your district and you're like, gravel in the bikeways, messed up crosswalk. Like I got to a place sometimes as a district council member that I kind of had to turn like my brain off a little bit because like I would be driving down a road and it was like, that's 10 hub requests. I think people get pretty frustrated. Like, hey, that dumb thing there in the middle of the sidewalk or the pole, like it's two years later. Why can't, like, Mm. we got to get better about delivering on those things because then nobody has faith in government to deliver the big things if you can't do the little things well. And I do think that comes through intentional oversight. One thing I see now that got kind of dropped through committee oversight because of, you know, just sort of churning through committee chairs, I would say, in the volatile time that we had is, you know, the 5G installations where they have kind of micro trenched in the roadways and the flow fill material that goes back into those, it is degrading pretty precipitously. That is absolutely a hazard for somebody on a bike. We elevated that through committee now kind of two-ish former NDOT directors ago. But, you know, Councilman O'Connell and I both um, have served on transportation and infrastructure, formerly called Public Works. I was vice chair to his chair, then I was chair. But holding these through lines, right? So we've elevated that question. It's a problem. Somebody's going to get back to us. Then we have a you know, a leadership change. And we just don't hold the through lines to fix the things that we know are problematic. And so, you know, as a councilman, when you come to the end of your district service or a committee chair, we absolutely at the end of, this is something I hope to implement, is we transition for chairs uh, between committees. 
what have we asked about that we haven't gotten an answer for yet? Is there a policy or process solution to this? You know, what gets elevated through committee? How do we hold on to it and make it better? Um, similarly, I think district council members, you know, you just don't want to hand your inbound colleague just a big can of worms, right? So it's kind of like that, you know, formal or not, kind of the outbound memo um, to your next district colleague. But in committee, similarly, I think that should be like an official memo, right? right? Like what Seems has been common the sense. Yeah, I mean. at common sense, but we don't have those um, processes in place because they are insufficiently, um, we've had insufficient staff to support that, right? So if you're a part-time member and, you know, you're a chair of a committee and you've asked questions in good faith, but you haven't gotten the answers to them. And then surprise, it's, you know, 11 and a half months later, you're not the chair anymore. We'll get back to you. You know, right. I'll get back to you. I don't have yeah. that information right, right now. Yeah, especially when you get, I don't have to tell you this, but, you know, when you get to the end of your term, it's just, you know, I think sometimes you start to feel like, oh, God, you know, well, there's. 35, 40 of us, um, you know, if we're all asking questions. And so um, we want to get council member and constituent questions answered, but with better process, right? So if a department director knows that the committee chair is somewhat of the funnel for the concerns, and then there's not then the gatekeeping on, you know, yeah, it's problematic if you're a Metro director and you've got 40 different people calling you with problems, no right? Sense. It does not make any sense. It is highly inefficient. But if we respect the chairmanship of the committee, um, you know, so I was public works chair. I was elected by my colleagues to serve as traffic and parking commissioner. One would hope then that folks in those roles are afforded a little more ear time, a little more access, because you are sort of the, the translator, the conduit of the, you know, the concerns of the larger body. And so I think if we bring more kind of, you know, respect and intention to the committee work, the chairmanships kind of formalize um, some of that, um, I think that will be helpful to the larger enterprise of, you know, fixing yep. the small things like Mr. Holland was with, speaking with, to. With, with 20, new, 20 new people. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll come on. The light Term rail limits. of the light rail is what you're talking about there. Um, you, Jamie, I know you have some some garbage to talk about. Well, let's talk trash. That's how I know or that's how the public knows whether or not the government's doing the job or not. Because I think when trash wasn't being collected, it kind of became a hot burner issue. Councilman O'Connell, now Mayor-elect Connell, used that as a campaign issue. Absolutely. It went out there, started picking up that recycling himself. Went out there yeah. and started doing it. Well, we have a, I, I would submit to the our dear listeners, a looming trash crisis. A couple of things. Southern Services, that's the name of the C&D landfill in Bordeaux. They applied for an expansion, denied at the Solid Waste Board, denied at the trial court level. And just last week, Court of Appeals issued an opinion affirming the decision to deny Middle Point Landfill in Murfreesboro. They went to their solid waste board for an expansion. It was denied. Also just last week, Chancellor Russell Perkins here in Nashville affirmed the solid waste board's approval to deny its expansion. Middle Point is unique for Nashville in as much as 50% of the garbage that goes in that landfill in Murfreesboro originates in Davidson County. They're in this current administration in order to solve the formerly Red River, 
which was not a like that didn't come up overnight. That had been a known problem for at least five years, if my memory serves. And the council started a process and allocated money to hire private contractors to pick up that slack, one of which was waste management. The garbage they collect in Davidson County gets to a transfer station and then to Clifton. There's also, uh, I, I call it the triune outfit, out of Murray County, they're trying to activate the Monsanto plant that has long since been closed to start doing trash collection. There's another landfill in Cedar Ridge, which is in Lawrenceburg. All that to say, we have nowhere for our trash to go in the next five to seven years. What role can the vice mayor play? Because obviously this is not, it is a Davidson County problem, but it's also a regional problem. Yes. Which means housing gets more expensive because trash collection gets more expensive, particularly in C&Ds, because we're not going to have one. Soon, in the next five years, we won't have a landfill in Davidson County. I, for one, don't think it's very progressive to not take care of your own waste. Instead, make it a burden on some other county. Agreed. What say you? I agree. Um, it is a looming uh, issue for many cities, ours included, acutely. And I think um, it, it again, back to those through lines, right? So um, it, you see that in Metro often, like these sort of legacy big challenges that, you know, we engage sort of partially, like here's a little fix here or there and, um, and, you know, always this looming problem and with our kind of strong mayor system and our term limits and sort of the churn and then you get kind of like the last, uh, few years like we've had, um, you know, it, uh, I, I think we have kind of shown somewhat of an inability to address some of those larger challenges. And so I think there has perhaps been a lack of understanding um, from uh, council members in the broader community about just the whole kind of <laughs> trash map issue that you laid out. Um, and so, again, we have to be talking about those things. And, you know, when there is a big looming thing that's problematic, it's not just like, okay, if we're really quiet and we don't talk about it, it will just go away. It, it doesn't go away. Surprise. Um, <laughs> and so I think we have to talk about that. We have to show the work that has been done, um, you know, the solid waste master plan um, for, uh, you know, the region, what is that? Um, what does that say we should be doing? Um, what our our yeah. Davidson County solid waste plan says no new landfills, right? Because we're going to so, zero waste, which is a great idea. That's a very aspirational mm -hmm. goal that I share and is important to have. And so I think in government, often <laughs> what you're trying to do is, um, you know, there's the the big picture uh, vision and goal that you're working towards, but then kind of the reality middle space of how you get there. And um, so... Don't let perfect be the enemy of good, right, so to speak. Oh. Right. You um, know, Arnold Hayes, candidate for at-large, yes. social justice guy, one of the greatest... Mr. Hayes. Absolutely. One of the greatest humans I've ever met. He said, talk to me about that Green Hills landfill, that... West Nashville landfill, that Bellevue landfill, because that, that brings up 
environmental justice of where do we put our Mm. landfills? Where do we put our trash? Um, You know, you have to work problems as always from kind of, you know, both sides, (laughs) bottom up, small things, um, all, all the things. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, if we are going to have a um, zero waste goal and no uh, new landfills, what is the horizon for that? Um, you very specifically said, you know, this this will max out at this time. That's a pretty clear horizon, and it's it's real close. Um, and so, can we, through programs, budget, and otherwise, achieve that goal? And if we can't, what are we doing, and what are we talking about? Right? If we're not talking about um, the cost that it will take to implement, you know, recycling at scale or you know we've got a interesting pilot starting around kind of you know compost scraps kind of stuff you know folks can opt into that those are all good things but like taking that to scale with the looming horizon um you know and so i i don't purport to understand that space uh deeply um, when I was chair of Public Works, um, I did um, establish a subcommittee um, to be chaired by Councilwoman Allen because she did understand that deeply. That was a personal passion of her. She was attending those meetings. She was tracking that. So I think we do need to do that as well. Um, uh, council members do need to be somewhat generalists, right? Like you have to kind of understand most of the adopted strategic plans, <laughs> the walk and bike strategic plan. But I, I I wouldn't say that we as council members are particularly well read in on the solid waste master plan, right? And so um, I think it is incumbent on us to at least know that. And then that then informs the staffing choices, the budgetary choices, the contracting choices, like what are we doing? So, you know, I think sometimes we hear this a lot in Metro and I've felt it as a citizen over the decades, we do the big plan and then it kind of goes on a shelf and we do little pieces of the plan that folks feel pretty good about and are good things to do about like the food scraps. I'm, I'm all about it. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we've got to deliver that at scale. What's the cost to deliver that at scale? Um, and so I feel like we've been kind of betwixt and between, uh, for a good long while. And that's, that is a looming existential issue that we've got to engage for sure. Sounds like my we, plan to build one in the backyard is being accelerated <laughs> this weekend. Well, many, many landfill. You, you, everyone, let me just say, Mr. Holland, everyone does have a landfill in their own backyard. It's called a compass, compost pile or a compa- compost uh, drum, you know. Um, you we, can grow all kinds of cool stuff out of it too. You absolutely can. So yeah. that again, that's another thing that we've kind of piloted and promoted but not at scale well when we built when the convention center was built it also had companion legislation to allow whatever got torn up in that process and demolition we buried it underneath the convention center i did not know that a metro anecdote it's from former council member it's in the the case you love saying that because he hates it so much. <laughs> right? <laughs> does, does he wince a little when you say look, it? He's wincing right now. He winces a little when but you say the, it. But you know, the small piece that you talk about, we transferred waste management, little w, little m, to the water department because it has an enterprise fund because yep. soon I submit to our dear listeners that we're going to start getting 
potentially pay as you throw. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, it's, it's worth looking at and moving towards. I was concerned that there was sort of a lack of understanding or visibility on that as we moved waste services over to water. Cause people are like, wait, what, why? Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a nexus there. Sure. I mean, trees are also kind of at the water department, our trees, stormwater infrastructure. Sure. Um, is, you know, waste in our waterways and our groundwater, is that related to water? Sure. Um, but to your point, uh, it is an enterprise fund, um, that does allow a potential new model where then when you talk about, again, delivering at scale on reducing waste, um, you know, if you have a, a, a limited, right, so you don't get unlimited trash cans, um, we promote more uh, recycling, composting, the food scraps, and for that, uh, you know, no cost for that, right? right? Recycle, do your compost, do all that, but what goes in the trash, there's a cost to that, and I think we see that all across um, uh, uh, municipalities and um, states that things for which you pay, you are more cognizant because the degree to which things are, um, whether one thinks of it as, as subsidized or covered by taxes, we see that a lot in our, in our roadways, right? Um, you know, highly, highly subsidized driving is highly subsidized. So people will talk all about like, oh, you know, don't fund those buses. There's never anybody on them. You know, I mean, that is a climate solution. That is an environmental thing, moving people towards, you know, so now as the cost of insurance goes up and the cost of repairs and, you know, maybe the cost of registering a vehicle, then people are, or if get, you're paying for the roadways, the road. you know, the people like it, that's, that's hitting you if you have to pay to park right? Then you start to make different choices. Um, people have very strong feelings about that. Um, and I do think it's incumbent on us as well. Um, you know, you are paying property taxes, right? And so the question becomes like, well, you know, holy heck, I'm paying all these property taxes and now I'm going to have to, you know, pay for my trash too, or I'm going to have to pay for this. And so that is part of that kind of civic education, right? Of this is what all this money does go to, elevating that understanding, helping people ahead of time before you make any major change like that. You really have to educate around the work. Where have we been? Why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? What is this civic enterprise that we're trying to do collectively as a city? What are these goals? Um, then I think you can move people to a new model. Can we, can we get that bus a dedicated line? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, Jamie and I were joking about, I've got friends who moved from Washington or, or and they were just like, yeah, plastic's illegal at grocery stores. Like, there's just no plastic. And I know Davidson County has toyed with that idea. The state, of course, disagrees. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny. And I think Jamie told me a story about, is it Chicago, you said, where Chicago. the people pay, you have to pay to get a bag to bring your right. grocery. And that's exactly kind of what you're talking about. Uh, also, soon to be slightly higher property taxes. Um, I, I think people are okay if they get trained. Because, like, my, my wife and I are big on recycling. We're big on the compost. We're big on all that stuff. But... Um, it, it's 
one little house is not going to make the difference. It needs to be systemic. Right. right. And I think too, from the, <clears throat> pardon me, the, the producer side of the house. Right. And so always putting kind of the onus on individuals to solve our environmental problems when it is a problem kind of created by the producers. Right. And so all across the spectrum of, you know, we have big problems as a society, as a planet. And so, yes, there are individual actions, but that doesn't solve it. There are government actions, but that doesn't solve it. And then there are business corporate kind of systemic action. Like ideally all those things are lined up towards the the greater goals. But yeah, I mean, I've good night. I mean, you know, traveling around, um, you know, Europe forever has had, you know, bring your own shopping bag or, you know, pay however many cents for it. Um, you know, we're preempted at the state around um, the the plastic bags, but you see somebody like, again, from a corporate perspective, Kroger, right, has committed to completely eliminate plastic bags by a certain oh, time. I feel like amazing. I feel like the <laughs> last time, uh-oh, Kroger's going to be calling me like, no, we didn't. Um, no, um, I really, I, the last time that was elevated through council as a potential, um, uh, you know, how, how might we address that? Um, I'm pretty sure um, Kroger committed to a phase out um, on that. And I'm apologize. I can't recall exactly what that on was. The single use plastic bag. Correct. Yeah. The single yeah. use plastic bag. Yes. Uh, the other thing you notice about uh, Europe, they don't have any parking spaces at their soccer stadiums because they don't need them. They get there on transit. They get but there hey, on the tube. We've, we've, it sounds fair. Some... They walk to kickball. They don't, no, they take the <laughs> tube. I, I'm all good with taking the tube. The just bus, need a couple tubes or a bus. The we'll, train. The bus will get us. I just want to get, get the, the bus a dedicated lane. I'm good. Like, that's when I know I, you're I, serious about a we, transit solution. We absolutely need that on the roadways for which, you know, like, again, low-hanging fruit. Where do we have sufficient right-of-way to deliver that? Where do we have, like, the redundancy, like, on y'all's side over here, you know, kind of got Ellington, Dickerson, Gallatin, you know, kind of all going up in a, you know, similar direction. So might you pick one and have, you know, a dedicated lane. Don't tell anybody about Ellington Parkway, by the way. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, that provides, That's a you know, state. That's a state. No, highway. I just mean so don't it's tell probably Dickerson and Gallatin. Well, just, correct. Right. But saying then that Ellington provides that alternative, if you, if you want to have your Zoom Zoom, you know, never slow down kind of but it's it's not particularly supportive to business right, right, right. to have the zoom zoom like it, you you have seen that all across our nation where you bypass um a uh, a commercial area for expediency to get from point a to point b that's detrimental to local and small businesses right like traffic calming through business districts even though on state highways you see that in little towns right you yeah. go into oh, yeah. main street we all think how charming downtown franklin is or any in other city that's very business supportive people go there because it's so nice and charming right and we can walk around and we got the trees and it feels great um you well, know we got those little plastic sticks that protect cyclists <laughs> yeah that's that is and those little armadillos, those little so, armadillos. So and we cute. have the stick armadillo combination now <laughs> as well yes paint is not infrastructure yeah thank um, you. green paint uh, that didn't do it you. you know a, a green green paint can be helpful it, um it, it, where i live it's helpful it's, I, it's, people notice it. They are. They That's are. How I know to turn left to go to the liquor store. Oh, off Riverside. Oh God! It's a visual cue. 
for you to towards your liquor. Um, you know, they, they are they are tools, they are not solutions, right? They're kind of part of the toolkit. And so because we have underfunded that space, um, I feel very strongly, I think Councilman O'Connell, now vice uh, mayor elect uh, O'Connell, that feels good to say, mayor elect O'Connell agrees, like we have to build networks. Like what people are frustrated about is, you know, little piece here, little piece there, and fighting these huge kind of pitched battles over, you know, this bike lane or that. You know, I talk a lot about a bike way network, you know, greenways, bike lanes, but I prefer bike ways, neighbor ways where you kind of have share the road, 20 mile per hour situations to build out a usable network for safe routes to school, safe routes to transportation. Um, we know how to build these networks and it's kind of like we're having the wrong conversations, right? Like with the, you know, the, the multi-meeting, can we deliver three sets of speed cushions in this neighborhood? Like, objectively if it is unsafe and there is speeding just, do just put down the d-a-m-n speed cushions oh, we don't nice. have to have multiple meetings about them and so you know you've seen an evolution through council um again somewhat iterative based on you know leadership community council members comfort but you know when i first ran for office as a neighborhood association president and somebody who cared a lot about safe streets and a walk back nashville volunteer um uh you know i was looking at our current traffic calming and i was like that is a joke that is safety theater it's ineffective um you safety know. theater that's good oh man we I do a that. lot of safety theater i love that that's, and the, the worst yeah. thing my kids say to me is like i want to go ride my bike like, right as a parent oh, that's very that's, that's the worst scary. thing you can say and that that really does break my heart stay um, on the sidewalk boys period yeah. which amen which, i i i don't begrudge any child or person yeah. um taking the safest route for them we need to learn about that we do not need to shame or scold people for doing that they are trying to stay alive you know but i think it's a ten dollar fine if, if the police give you a ticket for riding a bike I, on the sidewalk i hope we're not doing that obviously there, there's a difference too in i'm on this sidewalk to keep myself safe and i'm on this sidewalk barreling through unconscious of anybody walking and being a rude person like there's there's a difference and until we get to a safe usable functional network we can't really begrudge people choosing alternate pathways to literally save their yeah. own lives and so um i i do think um that is something uh, a, a bikeway network that we can deliver a heck of a lot faster. Are you pro e-bike on the greenway or anti? She has been far too gracious with our time, with her time, and has put up with us for way too long, Jamie Holland. This is a big <laughs> issue okay. in the e-bike people. I I am pro e-bike on greenways. That was um, a very convoluted and not particularly helpful conversation. Um, I do understand some of the concern, um, but e-bikes are here to stay. There's more adoption of e-bikes than e-cars. 
Um, and so, you know, when you talk about environmental solutions, transportation access, affordability, all those things I think can be delivered through uh, a bikeway and, and greenway network well more um, quickly and at scale than we can deliver the sidewalks because we are 80 years behind on uh, the sidewalks, the stormwater implications that we were talking about earlier, that is a heavier lift. It's much more heavier because our legislative solution um, that was really, I think, the best solution we could come up with in the environment that we have with our realities 80 years in reverse. It's a lot harder to make policy 80 years backwards, right? Then we should have just kept requiring sidewalks and not been like, oh, cars are awesome. We're going to sprawl. We're never going to need sidewalks anymore. So we're working backwards and that's harder. But I think a bikeable network, an enhanced bus network, we can deliver those quickly and we absolutely should um we've we've got to lean in really hard to that and um i hope that uh where do i sign mayor-elect o'connell and myself in this council um will really bring some attention to that space well um um, you have a signature uh, or about about 15 uh, um all right thank you very much you've been extremely gracious and thanks for um, having me thank you for putting up with the two of us uh i want to note real quickly here first of all congratulations to everybody who, yes. who won office to yourself. Congratulations to everybody who's out there knocking doors and volunteering Volunteers. and putting in all the work to help the, the people they believe in to get get, get the job done. Um, don't stay, stay interested in these processes. That's also an important message. Everybody gets real into elections and then we kind of, um, we got to keep paying attention to all that stuff. And congratulations to you on what I think is a record one cuss word on the show. And it would, and it was at fifty-one minutes and forty. It took him fifty-one minutes and forty seconds to say one bad word on the entire show. That is unprecedented accomplishment for you. Thank so, you. I just want to say thank you. Thank I appreciate you for that. that. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe to the show. Where, Jamie? Do they do that? They go to the, the bottom of the. You got to scroll. You got to keep scrolling okay. through, on the nine, designed through nineteen Apple episodes process, all like the way, with us all the way. If you don't get five stars, you're a hater. Thank you, Bamani Jones. Okay, okay. Uh, Vice Mayor, what can you do about Apple Podcast app? <laughs> I can do absolutely nothing. <laughs> thank you. Uh, seriously, thank you so much for your, hey, the one, your time. Hey, the one-star asshole disappeared. Took it off. Oh, you see, uh, just it was two, two, what? two bad words now I think I show. level set when I spelled D-A-M-N, That's true. right? And then I think maybe he took the Q, but then it all That's just true. broke down there it at did. the end. It did. It, yeah. all, it all went to H-E-L-L. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Vice thank Mayor. You, thank, thank you. Jamie Holland. Thank you can y'all. get to former council member at J.R. Holland on Twitter. You can get to me at Braden Gall. We'll talk to you guys next week.